So, um, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Luke, and I have got the great privilege of speaking to you this morning for around 30 minutes. Over the last few months at Jubilee, we've been looking at encounters people had with Jesus in the Bible. And today will be the last of that series. God's already been speaking to us powerfully in the words and worship that have been brought. I thought particularly Kieran's tongue was very moving. Um, Paul was talking about being washed clean by Jesus. Gavin was talking about Jesus being victorious. And Marvesh was saying that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. And the songs this morning, particularly the one with the chorus, Receive Our Adoration, I thought it was amazing. So listen up, God has got something for us this morning, and I believe God has got something for us as I speak to you. So I will be talking about the encounter a Samaritan woman has with Jesus. This is an encounter that happens near the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and this woman is probably the first non-Jew to hear the good news from Jesus. We will see how an encounter with Jesus changes her life completely. At the beginning of the story, she's a social outcast. By the end, she is sharing with her community with great joy the good news about Jesus. So should we pray and uh, ask God to speak to us? Lord Jesus, I thank you that your word, the Bible, has meaning for us today. Thank you that your word has power in our lives today. And I pray that as I speak, as we listen, you will speak to us. You will help us understand who you are more. You will help us know the truth. And then we will be changed as a result of an encounter with you this morning. Amen. So we will read quite a long section of the Bible today, which is important to understand the encounter properly. This is the story of Jesus on a journey, travelling through the land of Samaria. And I hope this morning that we will go on a journey together and understand God more as we do so. We will read from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4, from verses 1 to 30 and then from verses 39 to 42 from the NIV translation. We're missing out verses 31 to 38, as they are Jesus addressing his disciples, which is a somewhat separate part of the story. So John chapter 4, which come up on the screen. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "'Will you give me a drink?' His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? 
for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and what it is that asks you for a drink, who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Then the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes... He will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. And we move on to verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So on the surface, this seems to be a confusing story between Jesus and a woman in a foreign land, a foreign culture, about water, husbands, and worship. I hope that as we travel on this journey together, we will understand what it means and how we can apply this to our lives today. In many ways, the story is a bit like 
an onion. It has many layers. In order to understand the story of this encounter with Jesus, we need to enter into the world in which the story is set. Verse 4 says that he had to go through to Samaria. In the original Greek, which is the original language this was written in, it's quite emphatic. It seems this was God the Father leading Jesus to Samaria and the events that follow were divinely planned. Jesus' disciples have been baptizing in Judea. As you can see from the map, Judea is on the south and they planned to travel to Galilee, which is in the north. It would seem simple that to do so, you would travel through the land of Samaria, which is in between. However, it is not quite that simple. Most devout Jews at the time of Jesus would refuse to travel through Samaria, instead choosing to travel along the River Jordan, shown to the east here, which was a much longer route. So what was the problem with Samaria? Permit me to explain a bit of Bible geography. Now don't worry, it's not too complicated. Under King David, the whole land of the Israelites had been united. Later on, the land had been divided into a northern kingdom, which is called Israel, and a southern kingdom called Judah, due to disputes between the people. As you can see from this map, the northern kingdom of Israel it was invaded by the mighty Assyrian Empire in about 722 BC, which is about 200 years after King Solomon. And that was because of judgment by God for their sin of worshipping other gods and doing many other wicked things. The Assyrians, this mighty empire, carried off many of the people of God who lived in this northern land of Israel and took them back to Assyria. And then they sent in people from five different people groups to resettle this land. These people, when they came, brought in their own gods and they worshipped these. And they also intermarried with the remaining Israelites. If you want to, you can read about this in 2 Kings chapter 17. So these people, these foreign imports, if you like, stayed in this same area of land and they eventually became the Samaritans. So the people of Samaria were not regarded as Jews by those in Judea, although they did have some common heritage in their history. The point of me telling you all this is to explain that there was a great deal of tension between the Jews and the Samaritans at the time of Jesus. We can see this very clearly later on in John's Gospel because the Pharisees, who were religious leaders of the Jews, called Jesus a Samaritan as an insult in their discussion in John chapter 8, verse 48. So, because of these tensions, many devout Jews would refuse to go through this land of Samaria when traveling to Galilee. But as we've seen, Jesus was led by the Father to travel through Samaria at this time. And so Jesus comes to the town of Sukkah, which is in the center of the map. Next to Sukkah is Mount Gerizim, which is a famous mountain upon which Abraham, the great father of the Jewish faith, worshipped God when he first entered what was then Canaan. We see this in Genesis 12. It's also the place where the people of God were blessed when they first entered the promised land after leaving Egypt. We read of this in Deuteronomy 27. We heard in the story we've just read that Jacob had dug a well on this land. In Genesis chapter 33, we learn of Jacob buying this piece of land, and tradition had it, 
that he dug a well, drank from it, and watered his flocks from it. So, this place of Sychar, where Jesus is sitting by the well, was steeped in the history of the people of God. So there's Jesus, sat by the well, tired from his journey and the heat of the day. Now, it's quite difficult to imagine, I know, but it's nearly 12 o'clock. You can see the heat of the day outside here. But anyway, it's the Middle East. It's hot. It's noon. It's hot. Just try and imagine. It's likely that Jesus had traveled for six hours from daybreak to get to Sicca. And then a woman arrives at the well. Now, there's nothing particularly unusual about that, you may think, but it is unusual. Firstly, because she came to collect water alone. And secondly, because it's the middle of the day. Women would usually collect water as a group, and they would do so in the cool of the day in the Middle East, either in the morning or in the evening. The fact that this woman is alone and is at the well in the heat of the day shows she's an outcast from her community. This would have been obvious to Jesus and to any hearer in the first century. So here is an outcast Samaritan woman. Kenneth Bailey says in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, that on seeing the woman approach, Jesus was expected to courteously withdraw at least 20 feet, indicating that it was both safe and culturally appropriate for the woman to approach the well. In the culture of the time, it was not considered appropriate for a Jewish man, and certainly not a rabbi, a teacher of religion such as Jesus, to talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. We see in verse 27, when the disciples return, even they are surprised that Jesus is talking to a woman. So culturally, Jesus should not have been in Samaria, he should not have been talking to a Samaritan, and he most certainly should not be talking to a woman, let alone an outcast woman. But he does. Jesus asks the woman for a drink. We get here a glimpse into the humanity of Jesus, tired from travel and thirsty. Yet the woman knows that Jesus would be ritually unclean if he shared a drinking vessel with a Samaritan. So she's surprised to hear Jesus' question. In fact, as we've seen already, she'd be surprised to be acknowledged by Jesus at all. Such were the customs of the day. Yet Jesus doesn't withdraw but he starts a conversation with her about water. Jesus is talking about living water. Now, literally, this meant moving or flowing water, such as that water from a river or a spring, in contrast to the still water from a well. The woman was thinking that Jesus was talking about this kind of water. But to Jesus, this discussion had a heavenly perspective to it. We see that Jesus is offering something much greater than simply water. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is talking here about the Holy Spirit. And we see this clearly in John chapter 7, from verses 37 to 39. 
On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, but it seems the woman did not understand this at this stage in their conversation. So we learn another layer in the onion that Jesus is unwrapping in this story. And that is that Jesus knows this woman's past. Clearly Jesus has insight into her life. And it is not pretty. The woman has had five husbands. Now we do not know what the circumstances are around her previous marriages. The custom of the day would have been for the man to divorce the woman. So perhaps some of her marital problems were not of her doing. Perhaps, indeed, some of her husbands had died. But certainly, the fact that she was living with a man who was not her husband was definitely not acceptable to the Samaritans. The suggestion here is that this man that she's living with is, in fact, someone else's husband. Hence, her outcast status. So Jesus has taken huge cultural steps to reach out to this woman. She's from the Samaritans, a group looked down on by the Jews. She's a woman that at the time of Jesus, it was not considered appropriate that he approach or even talk to. And she's a social outcast due to her relationship with a man who is not her husband. I wonder how this woman was feeling at this stage. Was she confused? Was she bewildered? Yet Jesus, in his tired and weary state, has taken the time to reach out to her. He knows in detail about her life. The woman later says, he told me everything I've ever done. Some of these things that would appear to exclude her from talking to Jesus were in a sense external to her. She had no control over being born a woman or being born a Samaritan. And perhaps some of her marriages had ended through no fault of her own. But she'd made some internal choices in her life that had caused her problems. She had chosen to have a relationship with someone who was not her husband. So things outside of her control and within her control had caused her to be in a situation where it seemed impossible for her to meet Jesus. This encounter shows us that Jesus is fully aware of all of the things in our lives. Whether these are things we had no control over or whether we have done things in our lives that we regret. There may be dark corners in our lives that we are ashamed of. We might not like to admit them to ourselves or to anyone else, but Jesus sees them all. And yet the many layers of seeming barriers to Jesus meeting with this woman are not barriers at all. The woman should have been totally unacceptable to Jesus, yet Jesus totally accepts her as she is. Jesus wants to know us. He wants to speak to us. He wants to give us living water. He wants to change us. The grace of God through the love of Jesus is available to us all. We later see in the story this woman is changed by her 
encounter with Jesus. She was accepted by him for who she was. She had come to Jacob's well alone and outcast to to get water that would provide temporary relief to her thirst. By the end of the encounter, she's a changed woman. She had received something from Jesus' well of living water and this pours out of her life like a spring welling up. We see another aspect of this woman's life as well, that she is lost in her worship. Jesus says to her in verse 22, You Samaritans worship what you do not know. The Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible with Scripture and so rejected the whole of the rest of the Old Testament. They only had a partial revelation of God's truth and as we saw, they'd worshipped other gods. This led to them worshipping what they did not know. In other words, they were ignorant of the truth. Jesus explains to this woman that her question regarding which place of people worship at, whether on Mount Gerizim, next to the well they are at, or in Mount Zion in Jerusalem, is soon to be completely irrelevant. Salvation was to come from the Jews, namely a Jew, namely Jesus himself. We see in verse 23, Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. This time that is coming is the time of Jesus' death on the cross for the sins of the world. His resurrection as he defeated death and the sending of the Holy Spirit as a helper to us. It is a time that will change the world forever. And the great news is that we live in that time. Verse 24 says, God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Jesus here makes a statement that we must worship in the Holy Spirit and they must know the truth in order to be true worshippers. I found this quote from William Temple, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, to give some insight into what worship really means. Worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable. So I ask you this question, what do you worship? I do not mean what kind of songs do you sing for 45 minutes or so on a Sunday morning, although this is important. What I mean is, what is the focus of our lives? What are our priorities? How do we spend our time and money? What do we think about? What do we worship in reality? The woman in the story has had a partial revelation of the truth. She has identified that Jesus is someone special, that he is no ordinary man. She calls him a prophet in verse 19. Yet there is more. The woman said, 
in verse 25 and 26, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The woman has the hope that the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ is coming and that he will explain everything. The amazing revelation in verse 26 is that man she is speaking to is that anticipated person. So, after the disciples return, she leaves her water jar behind and returns to the town. It's an interesting eyewitness detail in the story that she left behind the jar she had brought to collect water in order to go and tell others about the living water of Jesus, a water that quenches the spirit forever. It would seem that the testimony of this outcast woman in a Samaritan town would not really count for much, but it must have been her great joy in telling about what had happened to her that had made her successful in spreading the good news. Perhaps there is a message in there for us. We may not consider ourselves an evangelist. We may perceive some of what has gone on in our lives to hinder us from telling others about Jesus. Yet the passion that we have for Jesus is contagious. What we say makes a difference. Each one of our voices counts. This woman clearly cared about telling others the news. In fact, she had become an evangelist, the first ever female evangelist. Many people from the town believed because of her testimony, but they also heard from Jesus himself as he stayed with them for two further days and many more believed in him as a result. In fact, in verse 42, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. It really is quite amazing that it's these Samaritans who we've already seen were looked, on, looked down upon very much by the Jews, that come to believe who Jesus really is, the saviour of the world. They spent time with Jesus. They heard him speak for two days. They got to know the truth. This living water that Jesus has talked about, the Holy Spirit, this salvation that his death and resurrection enabled, (coughs) this freedom from the penalty of sin, is available to the whole world. And the good news is that those of us here today are part of the whole world. Each of us who is a Christian here today has received a spring of living water welling up to eternal life. We need to learn from this Samaritan woman's encounter with Jesus. She had received a lot from Jesus and as a result had a lot to give. And for those of us here today who do not know Jesus, there's an amazing revelation. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the saviour of the world. Could I ask the bands just to come up now? So in conclusion, we've seen that to the Samaritan woman, Jesus first appeared as a man who was tired and thirsty from his travels. Then he appeared as a Jew 
then as a teacher of religion, then as a prophet, and finally she comes to the amazing revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour of the world. There has been progressive, progressive revelation of who Jesus is, and we have walked this journey together today. And so it leaves us with some questions, I think. Are you thirsty? Did you come along today feeling an outcast because of the things that have gone on in your life? Do you worship things in your life that you know are unhelpful in your walk with God? Jesus sees all the dark corners of our lives. Nothing is hidden from him. He is the light of the world. Do you need to meet this saviour of the world? This Jesus that gives living water, that wells up inside of us and changes us from the inside, the Holy Spirit. Just as Jesus reached out into the life of this outcast Samaritan woman and the people from the sound of Sikkah, so Jesus can reach out to us today. I believe God is speaking to us today. And if you feel this is the case that God's spoken to you today, I'd invite you to come up to the front here. There's nothing particularly special about the space at the front of this room, but there is something special about responding to God. So if you feel God speaking to you, come to the front and we'll pray for you. I believe this story of this Samaritan woman is very powerful and speaks to us something about how Jesus takes people who are totally unacceptable and makes them totally acceptable. Jesus doesn't discriminate. He loves us. He cares for us. And he wants to meet with us this morning. So if you want to, the band will just play some um, music. And uh, if you want to, please uh, come up to the front and uh, we'll pray for you.